This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. This podcast is brought to you by Kloss. If you're looking to get more out of your harvesting operation, there's no brighter solution than the all-new Lexion Combine. Farmers are always looking for ways to save money drying grain while maintaining grain quality. Eric Jellum of Osage, Iowa, is conservation-oriented on his corn and soybean farm. He's found a way to decrease energy use and the cost of drying by using what he already has plenty of, heat in the ground. Eric, tell us a little bit about your farm, where it is, what you raise, and all that sort of stuff. Well, it's in north-central Iowa. It's just a quarter-section farm. My wife and I live near my brother. My brother and I farm together, and so he lives about five miles away. Right now, we're just raising corn and soybeans. Probably eight or ten years ago, I gave up cattle. I had some cattle here. And uh, that gave us a chance to rotate hay around the farm, which was good for it. But currently, that's all we're doing. We're, we're kind of getting towards retirement age and not looking to expand. You know, with no kids that are coming up in the ranks that want to take over, we haven't been able to expand because we haven't been able to justify paying the kind of prices that land is still bringing. So have you and your brother done any conservation practices on the farm over the past few years? Yeah, for about oh, 15 years or so, we've done uh, strip till, and uh, we've generally no-till our, our soybeans, and we grow cover crops for the last six or seven years, mostly rye. We're getting a bioreactor put in, the Iowa Soybean Association's putting a bioreactor in, part of a project that they have. We live in the Rock Creek watershed, which has got quite a bit of focus on it right now because it's been quite a hotbed of, of no-tellers and strip-tellers and cover croppers. So I live in a, uh, an area where there are quite a few that are conservation-minded, which helps quite a bit. Speaking of conservation, you've moved into alternative methods for drying the corn. You received a grant a few years ago to start working on this. Yeah, I, it's something that I had been thinking about and, and doing calculations on for a number of years before I I finally convinced myself that it was worth trying. And so for planning the project, I used, made extensive use of a book that Midwest Plan Service wrote about 1980. And that's a, Midwest Plan Service is a consortium of universities. And um, they wrote a book on low temperature drying. And then the University of Minnesota has a program for fan selection. And between those two and a psychrometric chart, which tells you the thermodynamic properties of moist air, I did the planning for the project and then secured a grant from USDA uh, North Central Region Sustainable Ag Research and and Education. They have a farmer-rancher grant program. So I made an application to that. It's a competitive grant program. And they gave me some money 
to try this out. Talk about this project, drying corn with ground heat. What's the concept behind it? To give you the logic flow, when we first moved back here, we were drying corn pretty much like everybody drives corn, using propane. You know, if you don't have access to natural gas out in the country, you're likely to use propane. And uh, we could use, in a couple of weeks' time, as much propane, even on a small farm, as we took to heat our house. So about the time we moved back here, we got a ground source heat pump for the house. And that, that was an open-loop system, so we pump water out of a well and, and then put it into a tile line. So that makes it an open loop rather than a closed loop that just circulates the water in the ground. That gave me some inspiration for the project, but part of the draw was just using so much energy using an LP. I mean, the rule of thumb applied to our experience where it took about 0.02 gallons of LP per point of moisture removed from a bushel of corn. And that's about 1,840 BTUs. That's why we use so much LP, and most farmers do in the fall. We're small enough, and our bins are small enough, that we used an alternative that was quite commonly practiced of natural air drying. And in natural air drying, you use a a powerful enough fan to move air through a, a bin of corn and in our case, the bin wall is about 15 feet, so the grain column is about 15 feet. If you want to get the drying done in the season available, you use about a one and a quarter cubic feet per minute per bushel. And for us, in the bin that we were using, that takes about a three horsepower fan. The natural air drying season has to be short enough so that the air conditions don't deteriorate too much as they do as you move into the winter. In October, the conditions are just about perfect to dry corn to 15% moisture, which is usually what the target is. As you move into the winter, those conditions start to deteriorate. And by the time you get into the middle of winter, it's tough to get it drier than 18 or 19% without adding heat. If you're natural air drying, you've got a period of about 35 or 40 days in which you can get that done. And so you need a powerful enough fan to get the air volume moved through the corn to get the drying done. That fan, in our case, was a three horsepower. That added enough heat to increase the temperature several degrees of the drying air. And that lowered the the relative humidity about seven or eight percent. The thing that was intriguing to me is that if you cut the airflow rate in half, you can move that airflow rate for about 20% of the horsepower that you could at your beginning point, which for us was one and a quarter cubic feet per minute per bushel. So half the airflow rate for 20% of the horsepower, if you ran the fan twice as long, you could move the same volume of air through the grain for about 40% of the cost. And if you drop that down to about a third of the airflow rate, you could do it for about 8% of the horsepower. And running that fan three times as long, you could move the same air volume through the corn for about 25% of the cost. So that was intriguing to me. The problem is that in the natural air drying season, your fan provides heat that lowers the relative humidity and and makes the conditions ideal for drying 15%. 
if you make that fan small and you try to dry into the winter, then you're adding only about a degree from your fan and the rest of the heat would have to come from somewhere else. And in our case, you know, because we were using a ground source heat pump, the inspiration was there to use ground as the heat sink. You know, solar energy stored in the ground is what a ground source heat pump is using. So building heat, you know, using heat pumps had been well researched for quite a number of years. So I could make use of, of that resource to size the, the ground loop in which in our case it was uh, eight foot deep water lines three water lines down in an eight foot trench that ran for 800 feet ground heat is not new i mean our cave dwelling ancestors knew that the ground is warmer than the air temperature in the winter and cooler in the summer it's something that's been known for a long time and used for a long time What's novel in this application is that, so far as I know, nobody's used it for drying corn. And so the, the heat that I'm getting from the ground is just enough to lower the relative humidity so that the target moisture content of the corn can be achieved. When we come back, Eric will explain how the whole system comes together to dry corn in the bin and the impact a lengthy drying time has on corn quality. Stay tuned. Kloss products are an engineered mix of efficiency, precision, convenience, and reliability, all in the same package. But they aren't for everyone. They're for those who know the numbers that drive their operation and are interested in making them even better. They're for those with a plan. If you plan to get more out of your farming operation, take a closer look at Kloss for brighter solutions and better results. Contact your Kloss dealer today. Eric, tell us about your setup. What's involved with the heating system and blowing the air where it needs to go? Well, it starts with the, for the ground heat exchanger, which is buried eight feet deep and runs for 800 feet. And there's a, a small circulating pump that circulates an antifreeze solution continuously. And that surfaces into some heat exchangers like you might use for an outdoor boiler for heating your home or building. And that is in the airflow stream for the fan that blows the air under the drying floor of the bin. So we have a 3,000 bushel bin, and uh, normally we dry a little bit less than than 3,000 bushels. But in this case, it was about 2,700 bushels of corn. The pump circulates the water to the heat exchangers, and then the fan blows that air into the bin. Normally, when we're natural air drying, we used a three-horsepower pump for this project. To begin with, I dropped that to a three-quarter horsepower. And then after the first year, thinking that I was just trying to extend the drying season into the winter waves, I realized that there was still quite a lot of heat left there, and I could you know, extend it right on through the winter. So the second year of the project, uh, I used a smaller fan yet. and Making use of the the fan selection program that the University of Minnesota had and seeing how important it was to get a well-designed fan for the static pressure conditions that you were working with. I did some sniffing around to different companies that made fans and, and selected one ideally suited to low static pressure like I was using. It dropped down to a quarter horsepower and still moved quite a lot of air. So. 
the second year I dried over a period of about 90 days into the winter. The period itself was longer than that because at times when it's too warm, I shut the fan off just because I didn't want to risk any spoilage. And when it was too cold, like down near zero, I shut it off because the headspace above the grain in the bin would frost up. And uh, that frost would accumulate to the point where all of the openings in the bin were shut. I couldn't move air through them any longer. So I just routinely would shut the fan off when it would get that cold. So there were periods, maybe 10 or 15 days over a 100-day period or 120-day period that the fan was shut off. But normally, it was just running continuously. And the temperature rise was about uh, 8 degrees the first year. And, and I pushed it a little bit to see what the capacity of this system was the second year by doubling up two heat exchangers. So then the temperature bump was about 10 degrees. So still within the safe storage condition temperatures that are recommended in the Midwest plan book that I described, you want to stay within the, the limits of storage life for the temperature and moisture content of the grain that you're using. So uh, at 22% and less, it's fairly easy to, to keep grain safe in the wintertime in the upper Midwest. Further south you go, you know, the picture changes, but up where we live, it works well. It's surprising me after the third year now, how easy and how well this is going. What months have you dried into? Well, this last year, it was mid-March when we shut the fan off. And that's about as late as you want to go. And so the lowest you want your airflow rate to be is about 0.4 cubic feet per minute per bushel because you need volume of around 60,000 cubic feet per bushel to move through that grain over the course of the drying period. And by mid-March, your ground temperatures are getting low enough and air temperatures are starting to come back up that it's, it's difficult to get the heat out of the ground. Because the lower the air temperature is, the more heat you can extract from the ground because the difference is so great. What was the overall condition of the corn? Any rotting, any mold that you found? No, no, none of the three years did I see any quality issues. I mean, for one thing, you've got continuous airflow. So any hot spots that might develop are kind of nipped in the bud. Wetter corn than 22%, I haven't really dared to do that. I'd like to stay on the safe side and keep it under those moisture levels. But the condition otherwise, you know, when you dry real slow, you get better test weight, uh, you get less checking of the corn, so it's a real gentle way to dry. This method of grain drying probably isn't for everyone. When we come back, Eric talks about limitations of the system, who could benefit the most, and also the money that can be saved. Stay tuned. Kloss products are an engineered mix of efficiency, precision, convenience, and reliability, all in the same package. But they aren't for everyone. They're for those who know the numbers that drive their operation and are interested in making them even better. They're for those with a plan. If you plan to get more out of your farming operation, take a closer look at Kloss for brighter solutions and better results. Contact your Kloss dealer today. Eric, what kind of limitations did you find with this system? Well, it's really ideally suited to small farmers, or more to the point, farmers with small bins, uh, because the 
the grain column is important. If you get too deep a grain column, and that's true for natural air drying as well. Natural air drying is an advantage for farmers whose bins are small enough. You get above 20 feet or so for natural air drying, and you're not saving anything anymore in most cases. It depends on what LP prices do, but right now LP is quite cheap. So it's hard to compete. The cheaper LP is, the smaller your grain column needs to be, and vice versa. Small farmers could benefit most from a system like this. Even us, we could benefit by conveying the corn through a dryer and keeping the layer even shallower. I mean, I was estimating as I took samples as the, the drying front was coming up through the grain that the drying front was about three feet deep. If you move the grain through a dryer that only had a three-foot grain column, you could probably drop the energy usage in half over what I've done with this you know, in, the, in bin drying. So there's still savings that can be done. What kind of savings monetarily have you seen over these past three years of drying your corn this way? Well, I did a comparison of the same size batch of corn using the, the rule of thumb for LP that if you use 0.02 gallons of LP per point of moisture dried and drying the same amount of moisture as it did in this experiment using the low airflow and low temperature drying, about six points, at a dollar and a quarter per gallon of LP, you would probably spend close to $400 to dry that bin of corn. Natural air drying at that depth you could probably bring it down to about $300. If you use the interruptible power rate, which allowed the power company to turn your power off for about four hours a day, then you could reduce it to maybe $200 if you're natural air drying. You're probably not going to be inclined to do that because the season is so short. But when you're drying all winter and your airflow rate is low enough you know, a little bit of increase isn't going to cost you that much. You'd be probably better off getting on the interruptible power rate, and then you could drop the cost even more. So for drying all winter like I did, I had it within $100 at the residential rate. And I didn't actually use the interruptible power rate because the facility charge that they require for putting the item in that they use to shut your power on and off is about $6 a month. So I'd have paid about $72 to save about $26. <laughs> so it just wasn't <laughs> in the cars. I'm not at the scale you know, in this project yet to warrant that. But if you were at the scale that you could take advantage of that, you know, the cost at the interruptible power rate would have been about $56. Wow. That's pretty significant, really. Well, and it's significantly, you know, less energy used too, which was yeah. also appealing to me. So what's next, Eric? Can you patent this idea or just show other farmers how to do it? What's in the future with this system? Well, I'm still tinkering with it. Um, one thing that I would really like to try is a combination of a ground loop and solar energy actively used by a solar air heater. Like I said before, the ground temperature is dropping all winter. And as you get towards spring, it gets low enough. It can be a little difficult to get enough heat out of it unless your system is, is large enough. And, and my ground loop was plenty large for the size bin that I've got. 
But if you're trying to minimize the capital investment, it might be better to use a combination of a smaller ground loop to take advantage of the warmth that's in the ground in the early part of the winter. And when in November and December, you've got the cloudiest months of the year. By January, the ground temperature's getting pretty cool, but your solar energy availability is increasing and it will increase the rest of the spring. So if you have a combination of a small ground loop and a solar air heater for the remainder of the winter, the ground heat could be used at night throughout the duration of the drying season. That might be a better combination and might minimize the capital costs. It's really the next thing I'd like to try as I continue tinkering with this system. Using ground heat for heating greenhouses is another quite sensible thing that I see that a number of people have done, mostly using air tubes that are buried in the ground. I think using water might have some advantages over air, but I won't know until I try. <laughs> That's the way so many great things have been created. You don't know till you try. Just keep tinkering. <laughs> so are you in contact with any extension services or companies to help you along with your tinkering? Uh, you know, I'm a better tinkerer than I am a promoter. So I haven't pushed that along very much. And your question about patenting it uh, has been a little difficult for me to grapple with because a lot of it is, is just so simple. You know, there isn't anything patentable there. I mean, the ground loop is something that's standard for you know, many houses that are still using ground source heat pumps. So there are contractors that are quite well trained to install those. And I don't make fans, so I don't design fans. The thing that may be patentable here is the control, you know, shutting the fan off and turning it on depending on the moisture conditions and, and maybe using some weather forecasting to anticipate conditions. So that would be the area where there may be some patentable product come out of this. Excellent. Eric Jellum, thanks so much for telling other farmers about your project. This podcast was brought to you by Kloss. If you're looking to get more out of your harvesting operation, there's no brighter solution than the all-new Lexion Combine. Thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.